0: Bilingual in America. Tunei aloha fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti.
1: Bilingue in America. Ser in America. I'm Suzanne Lasser. I'm Yarina Sanción. And this is Bilingual in
0: America.
2: With all the research out there, there is still so much to learn about how the brain functions, grows and evolves. All experiences leave their mark. They change how we respond to a similar situation in the future and create knowledge or expertise in particular areas. We call this learning. And learning has a definite impact on our brains. We can learn tasks like how to brush our teeth, or processes like how to read. However, when it comes to language learning in the vast majority of cases, individuals become bilingual through life circumstances and schooling experiences. How the brain acquires language therefore is a more involved process. Today we'll have a fascinating conversation about the, what the research says when a youngster challenges his brain functions to learn two or more languages at the same time. Dr. Fred Genesee, professor of psychology at McGill University in Montreal, Canada, a member of the Cal Board of Trustees, and the author of Dual Language Development and Disorders, amongst other works on English language learners, shares his expertise and insights on the matter as well as the power of code switching, which is the ability to seamlessly switch languages while speaking. Let's listen in as segment producer Suzanne Lasser engages in this conversation with Dr. Genesee.
0: Dr. Genesee, thank you for joining us today We're really looking forward to hearing all that you have to share on this very important topic. Can you share with us if you've come across anything in your research that would indicate that there are neurocognitive limitations on a child's ability to learn more than one language?
1: Uh, As far as I can tell, based on my reading of the literature, I don't see any evidence that that's the case. To the contrary, it's most of the research, and there's a lot of research now, on preschool uh, children who are raised bilingually, indicating that the brain is really equally adept at learning two languages as it is at learning one. Also evidence that, on the neurocognitive front, that the brains of, of bilingual children, especially bilingual children who learn two languages sequentially, that they are different from the brains of monolingual children when children learn one language and then they acquire a second language after two or three years of age then they engage different areas of the brain for learning and processing the second language in comparison to monolingual children so if you look at the, the brains of second language learners and compare them to the brains of monolinguals when they're processing the second language The bilinguals will use different areas of the brain in comparison to monolinguals who speak the same language but as a first and only language. I mean, this is evidence of how plastic children's brains are, that they can recruit different resources in order to master the language. But it also means that they're likely to be different. They may process or use the language in different ways because the mechanisms they've used to acquire the language are different. In all fields, psycholinguistics, linguistics and developmental psychology, they're increasingly coming to the realization that monolingualism is one way of being language competent, but it's not the only way, and that it shouldn't be used as the gold standard for assessing or evaluating the competence of other children. The corollary of that is that there's more than one way to be competent, and if you're a bilingual, successive or simultaneous you're going to be different than the monolingual but those differences don't necessarily mean there's some kind of deficiency it just means that there's a difference and you probably know this is a debate that's been around for a long long time but now it's really has sort of neurocognitive evidence to justify it so we have to we have to consider that language learners are different from one another This is probably true of children who grow up in families where the variety of language they speak in the home is different from the variety of language that's used in school. So children who speak black vernacular English at home or Haitian Creole at home, they will probably be recruiting different areas of the brain when they start to acquire standard English or standard French. We don't have research on that. But it's a, it's a reasonable conjecture that those early language experiences during the first year of life are really critical in, struct, in shaping the structure of the brain. And that has consequences for later language learning. And it really demonstrates how neurocognitively flexible children are. This
0: idea that there are two schools of thought surrounding language learning. If you would share about code mixing and the benefits of code switching.
1: Right. Well, very early research on bilingual children saw code mixing as an indication that young children, and we're really talking about children who were raised in two languages from birth, they, they interpreted the code mixing that all, all bilingual children engage in during that early phase of development as evidence that they weren't actually bilingual. That they had a linguistic system, a neurocognitive linguistic system that was made up of two languages. And the argument was that the reason they code mixed was because that the languages themselves were actually mixed up. So when they went to try to say anything beyond a single word, they were drawing words or grammatical structures from this hybrid system, which was composed of both languages. Uh, and this is the, this is what I call the unitary language system hypothesis. And, and the, it was further thought that children really only were able to separate the two systems from one another, the two languages from one another around three years of age. And we now know that, that this bilingual mixing that young children engage in is not evidence of lack of differentiation of the two languages. Children, when you look at them carefully, bilingual children use their two languages in very appropriate ways with different speakers. So they use more of the mother's language with the mother and they use more of the father's language with the father uh, when they mix uh, with their parents for example in in the early stages of development it's usually because they do not have the right word in the right language so rather than reflecting uh, linguistic incompetence co-mixing is really uh, representative of their language competence their communicative resources They're using all of the resources at their disposal to express themselves, the specific rules of each language. But even more interesting, it means that when they're talking, they actually have activated both languages, and they're doing a kind of cross-linguistic comparison so that they know when to use language A while they're speaking language B. Otherwise, how do they know not to make grammatical errors? Now, I'm not saying this is a conscious process, It's clearly unconscious, but it means that the areas of the brain that are processing English and and Spanish are both active, and there's communication between the useless systems, so when they go to put Spanish into English, they do it in an English-appropriate way, and vice versa when they're speaking Spanish. So rather than reflecting the fact that it's a linguistic limitation or cognitive limitation, co-mixing is actually a sign of linguistic competence. And a lot of that competence emerges very, very early on in development. So children should never be criticized for code mixing. Educators or parents should never think that code mixing is a sign of some kind of language difficulty.
0: Dr. Genesee, I want to thank you for taking time to speak with our listeners, to share with me some of the amazing research and actual real-life experience that you have come across over the many years of research.
2: Dr. Genesee shares with us that children process and use language in different ways. He calls bilingualism the gold standard, and that code switching and mixing is a sign of language competence. Language is power, and the more you have in your arsenal, the stronger you will be. Dr. Esti Lopez is nationally and internationally recognized for her work in empowering educators of diverse learners to engage in developing higher cognitive language and academic performance by reframing beliefs and practices about how linguistically diverse students learn. She currently is an assistant professor at the Graduate School at the College of New Rochelle. We welcome Dr. Esti Lopez as she also shares with segment producer Suzanne Lasser.
0: Esti, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast with us today. Why don't you start by just sharing a bit about why you believe two-way immersion is the most effective way of developing bilingualism for students.
3: We know that the theory that we've always believed was that a child can build a second language if they have a strong sense of a native language. That's number one. So combining those two ingredients in a very structured, cognitively controlled way will develop a level of intellectual development that is enhances curiosity, learning, desire to be expressive, to understand the world better, to be more empathic, to look for meaning because you have different ways of understanding and using these linguistic skills that exist to make reality and to understand reality and to make meaning. Throughout the American culture of educating children in this way, as we all know, originally the view was... An English only model and it wasn't until the late 60s and 70s that we started looking at the value of native language instruction in a formal way we also recognized through via lawsuits and and studies done with Native American children that were taking away their language and culture our Asian children who spoke a language other than English seen as uh, disabled all of those dynamics led to more and more quality and quantitative research about the value of the native language and what does that mean as you grow up bilingually, which is your point. As that research develops is also the understanding of the value of bilingualism. So then we moved from an English-only model, in that case, English as a second language, to the idea of Maybe a native language instruction, just a little bit, and keep improve. you know, hopefully enhancing that as the years went on. The dual language concept that I was very much involved with 19, 1977 came from a very innocent uh, perspective of a young teacher when I had groups of English speaking kindergartners and Spanish speaking children and my decision to be able to structure a day of Spanish instruction and English instruction for everybody. And someone came up to me from the state ed department to visit to say, oh, you know, you're doing a, a two-way bilingual program. And I said, oh, that's interesting because intuitively I thought it was a common sense program.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I wasn't totally you know, knowledgeable in the emerging theory that was coming up on dual language instruction, which is the two-way bilingual program. So over the time, I've always supported that design as long as there was equal materials, equal resources, grade level expectations for everyone in that class. So we moved from an ESL design, we moved to a self-contained, what they called bilingual class, which was uh, Spanish whenever we could, or whatever language whenever we could, to a more uh, scientifically research-based design dual language program. That kind of program, I always called it the Cadillac, teaching and learning for students, for all students. It was in the many years later, when the implementation of the dual language programs, that we had a mantra of looking at as bilingualism as an asset, and not a deficit. So we needed to change the perspective, try to clean the political negative nuance that the terminology bilingualism continues to be challenged with, and look at it as positive. The other thing that we're realizing is all what neuroscience has allowed us to see with the new technology available to us, right? We know that Children who are bilingual use more neurons than children who are monolingual. We know that the children may mix the language as as they're trying to make meaning, but at least they're making this gymnastic exercise of the brain, which generates more neurons in order to make meaning by accessing the two or three languages that they're learning. The other piece is that when they these children encounter someone who doesn't understand a particular, is only unique to one language, doesn't understand another language, they're more patient, they're more understanding, so there's an affective domain that grows instinctively by being bilingual, and now the, there's enough research to say that it might even prevent Alzheimer's and dementia. Why? Because of the continued multiplication of neurons as the brain continues to do its gymnastics to make meaning. In this country, they work hard at suppressing learning and this is one way of doing that. They really think about, or they, or the systems, I shouldn't say they, but there are systems that don't allow it, it's mostly political more than anything else that gets in the way of not seeing the potential of what this can do to an American society, but they look at it as a threat or they look at it as let's continue to suppress groups of people to not exert all of their intellectual, linguistic capabilities if we just limit what their brain can do. The issue really is I am no, I have no concern or worry about English and I wouldn't live without it, but I love my native language because I can communicate with the other half of the world, South America, Central America, Spain. I am excited for people like yourself and other uh, champions of uh, dual language learning who really understand what this means to a a meaningful, forward-looking society. As I said earlier, a dual language program well-designed, with great teachers that understand all the cultural implications that are implicit in language development and academically driven, because we're not saying we're just teaching a language for the sake of speaking, but it's really developing bilingual and biliterate children so they can function in this global world.
0: Esti, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I know that what you have shared will resonate with our listeners and inform the work and the thoughts that they have around two-way instruction.
2: Dr. Lopez emphasizes that we need to shift our perspective and view bilingualism as an asset and not a deficit. Two-way bilingual programs where English speakers learn a new language and the speakers of another language learn English, is the Cadillac of language learning programs. In a world where we still question the validity and the importance of bilingualism, and even multilingualism, let's set the record straight. Bilingualism does not divide us as a nation. Instead, the nation gains from the melting pots of languages and our differences unite us. And while so many succeed without a bilingual education, we understand that success holds no ceiling. The sky's the limit in a world full of different cultures, languages, and experiences. So let's reach for the gold standard. Let's experience that Cadillac. Let's create an America that values and embraces multilingualism. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.